Thank you much indeed, guys. Ten years ago, in January 2009, uh, a flight took off, US Airways flight took off from LaGuardia Airport in New York. And all, almost immediately after taking off, it ran into difficulties. It hit a flock of geese. And uh, very, very quickly, both engines failed. And uh, the pilot, Chesley Sullenberger III, was faced with uh, an unprecedented situation. He was above uh, a very, very highly populated area. There were 155 people on the flight, and yet at a, f at a height of 2,800 feet, he had lost complete power in the aircraft. Both engines had gone. There was no actual protocol for what a pilot should do with no engine power, trying to take off effectively and at a height of 2,800 feet. So Sullenberger, better known as Sully, didn't actually try to do a protocol that didn't exist or do half a protocol. Instead, what he did was he relied on 42 years of civil and military uh, aircraft flying, and he put the aircraft down onto the Hudson River. All 155 passengers were saved. Imagine if at the moment, whenever Sullenberger said over the intercom, this is your captain, brace for impact, that some one of the passengers had stood up at that moment and said, uh, hold on a second, I've seen quite a few disaster movies and uh, I'm not entirely sure if the pilot is making a correct assessment here. I, I think that actually it would be better if we had a bit of a discussion as to uh, who should actually try and fly this plane or rather this glider at this moment because there's no engine power. I imagine what would have happened was that one of the cabin crew or one of the passengers would have probably very, hopefully politely and very firmly told him to sit back in his seat and to do exactly what the cabin crew and the captain were saying, which was brace for impact, brace for impact. In this whole seven weeks where we're looking at submission and community, one of the important areas to look at is how do we submit to authority? And I think uh, for us, that's a, that's a big challenge as a society. And I'll explain where I think the challenges lie for us. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at uh, how we submit to authority in terms of, no, sorry, how, how we submit to those who are in positions over whom we have authority. So we, we read about how Paul submitted to Philemon, the wealthy Roman citizen, by pleading with him to submit to his own runaway slave, Onesimus, by forgiving him and taking him back as a brother. And so we see Paul submitting and encouraging Philemon to submit and in both cases, submitting to those who are actually under them in authority. But this morning, I want to look at how we submit to those who are over us in authority. Police officers, traffic wardens, bishops, counselors, local government, MPs, employers, managers, bosses, school teachers, school principals, parents. There are 
there is a long list of people who we can submit to and who are over us in positions of authority. And the interesting thing the Bible has to say about submitting to authority is this. If you want to grow in spiritual authority, if you want to move more fully in the power of the Holy Spirit, if you want to experience the love of God more deeply and profoundly in your life, the Bible is clear, the first thing that you do, you submit to authority. Ultimately, you submit to the authority of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We submit to the teaching of uh, the, the breathed Word of God, uh, uh, as, as Paul describes Scripture as you know, the, the distilled wisdom that God has given over hundreds of years for human beings. Uh, one of the things we may not think about quite often is submitting to the structures of authority that God has put in place including local and national government. Because interestingly, uh, what the New Testament tells us is this. For instance, Jesus says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. So if we want to experience the love of God more fully, the Bible is clear. You submit to authority. That's how we experience the love of God. That's how we experience the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, is actually by submitting. But Paul goes on to say, well, what does that look like in day-to-day life? And so he's writing to the church in Rome, and he says this, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. He goes on to say, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment if we break the law, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If they're God, give everyone what you owe them, uh, pay tax. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. So what Paul is saying is all authority on earth, including governmental authority, has been placed there by God. And so everyone, whether Christian or not Christian, everyone, all of us, should submit to the authorities which God has put in place. Now, just in case we might be thinking, well, that's fine because uh, Paul didn't see our government today, and he couldn't really certainly mean, and the fact, do we even have a government? And how, how, how do we go about submitting? But it's really important to remember, when Paul wrote those words, the ultimate earthly power was that of the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire was thoroughly pagan, and it was utterly brutal, and it built the empire on the back of slavery. And Paul is saying, everyone should submit to the Roman government. They're pagans, they are brutal, 
They slaughter people left, right, and center. They have hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of slaves throughout the world. That's how they build their empire. And Paul is saying they've been placed in that position by God, so submit to whatever they say. Now, the thing is that doing that takes an immense amount of faith. So, for instance, in our creed, it says that under Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, that Jesus Christ, he was crucified, and on the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. So it's interesting that even in the apostles created a distillation of Christian faith that there is named a, a Roman governor under whom Jesus was crucified, who gave the go-ahead for Jesus to be crucified. So Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate, who thinking he had all authority to do whatever he wished, he said he basically condemned Jesus to death. He tried in some way to save him, but he condemned him to death. He condemned him to crucifixion. And what did Jesus do? He stood silently before him and let Pontius Pilate decide what happened. It takes an immense amount of faith to submit to broken earthly authorities. And the fact is that any earthly authority is to some extent is going to be broken. But what did Jesus show us that we should do? He showed us that no matter how broken it is, we should submit to it. Now that takes a massive amount of faith. And the creed gives us a clue as to how in a basis of faith can we submit to pagan brutal, broken human authority. And it's because Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. In other words, what the Creed is saying to us is, at the end of the day, there is going to be one king recognized as being in charge. And the whole of history is moving in this direction that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that the one who was crucified on the cross is going to stand in glory. He's the right hand of God now and everyone is going to recognize that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And that's why we submit to every form of broken human government in the here and now. Because God has, is working his purpose out and nothing can thwart the purpose of God. And so in Acts chapter 4 and 5, it's really interesting because we see the disciples doing what Jesus did. They stood before the, the Sanhedrin and they, they are... They are threatened by the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin basically say to them, uh, don't speak anymore in the name of Jesus, and they, they threaten them, and then they send them out. And of course, uh, they go out, and they don't do what the authorities have told them. They go out, and they proclaim the name of Jesus Christ, and in chapter 5, they're hauled back in in front of the Sanhedrin, this time other apostles with them. 
And the Sanhedrin says, we give you strict orders not to teach in his name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with his, with his teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. And Peter and the other apostles reply, we must obey God rather than human beings. And Paul, whenever he's writing to Timothy, says this, it is necessary to submit, no, he doesn't say that, that's further down. He says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So there's three things the Bible tells us when it comes to our attitude towards authority. The first is we submit to authority. The second thing is we pray for those in authority. And boy, we are going to pray all the more if we realize the truth of Scripture, which is God has placed that government in authority. Therefore, there are some things in policy I don't agree with. Therefore, I'm going to pray that they're going to change. And the third thing is that if we see injustice happening is that we speak out against injustice. We do so respectfully. We do so in a mannerly way. We do so in a humble way. But we point out the things that we deeply feel are against the commands of God. And we do that even if it's going to cost us our own lives. That's what the Bible says are the three things we do when it comes to authority. We submit we pray and we challenge no matter what the cost. But we challenge in a way which is deeply respectful to those in authority because God has placed that person in authority. So imagine the different ways that would, uh, how our life would look if, our, if we thought, uh, my BB officer has been put over me by God. My boss has been put over me by God. My local counselor has been put over me by God. My teacher, my school principal, my local counselor, my bishop, they've all been placed in that position of authority by God himself. Imagine the different way that we may, we may operate and how we treat people who are in authority if we realize what the Bible says. God has placed that person in a position of authority. Imagine what difference that might make to how we speak about people who are in positions of authority, whether it's our boss, whether it's our local councillor, whether it's our MP, whether it's our MLA. If we took on board what the Bible says, that person has been placed there because God has put them there. Imagine how fervently we would pray when we see injustice, like we've seen laws change over these last number of weeks that have have really put in jeopardy human life for the unborn child and also removed protections for parents and also have undermined traditional marriage. And I think the church is right, humbly, but clearly to speak out and say, the Bible doesn't agree with what you're doing. This is what God has to say on this issue. But we do so humbly and we do so prayerfully and we do so respectfully. For us at this moment, as we approach the 12th of December and Election Day, 
And as we look at the possible impeachment of the, of the President of the United States, as we look at Western democracy seeming to be in disarray, they, it seems to be that our democracies can only stand and shout at each other rather than listening to each other, both in Washington and in Westminster. Uh, for us, we don't even have politicians who are willing to meet to shout at each other because they're just not willing to be in the same room together. But the temptation for us is to say, well, uh, let's blame those who are on positions of political authority or otherwise. Because um, I think, actually, it is very difficult to be in a position of authority today. And the reason is because I think, as a society, we have become very difficult people to lead. I think one of the reasons why the politicians feel so pressurized is not because just there's pressure coming at them sideways, but there is an immense well of pressure coming at them from below. And every time they step outside Parliament or outside wherever their meeting place is, they are abused and they are threatened. And there is a deep lack of respect for anyone in authority. You see, I think that our our mindset over this last number of hundred years has developed along the lines that has brought us to this place where today, in any facet of life, whether it's to do with parents or teachers or principals or police officers or whatever it happens to be, our knee-jerk reaction is increasingly becoming, how dare you tell me what to do? We are becoming a very, very difficult society to lead. And so we should learn to be, as Christians have been down the generations, model citizens. People who submit, people who pray, and people who speak up when they see that something is wrong, no matter what the personal cost. Over this last number of hundreds of years, and I suppose it's just part of broken uh, human brokenness and thinking in terms of uh, not obeying what God is saying to us. But over this last 300 years particularly, there's been uh, a move since the, the time of what's been called the Enlightenment and uh, French philosophers like Voltaire and uh, some of the great intellectuals or so-called great intellectuals of 300 years ago. And what those intellectuals did at this time of what's called the Enlightenment is they basically said that human reason takes precedence over divine revelation. Now, their initial starting point was not to say there is no God. But what they did say was, we believe that God has left the building. God has nothing to say. In effect, one person described it as saying, God lives in the penthouse on the top floor. We live on this floor, there are no stairs, and the lift is broken. And that's really the thinking of the Enlightenment. The fact is that human ingenuity, the thinking process was, would lead us into a place that would eradicate war, would eradicate conflict, would eradicate poor education and sickness, and actually it would, it would treat all the world's woes. But the answer to this was not what God had to say. The answer to this was human cleverness. 
And this is the thought process which has been happening in Western society over the last 300 years. It is that human ingenuity should always trump divine revelation. The problem has come particularly for us over this last number of decades because we have realized, not least because of the First World War and the Second World War and all the conflicts that happen throughout the world and all the bitterness and hatred there is in the world and the fact that political processes, even modern democracies, seem to be breaking down and people are starting to question, will democracy actually work? And what people have realized over these last decades is this. Human ingenuity isn't going to deliver. It is not delivering, it cannot deliver, and ultimately the intellectuals themselves cannot agree about anything. So where does that leave us in a society of, in history, in Western worldview? Well, I think it leaves us, first of all, in the place where we have been taught in society, in our schools, in our universities particularly, to say human reason will actually win the day. And so gradually, over hundreds of years, we have removed God from the equation. But the problem is we have realized that what we were relying on, human ingenuity, isn't actually working. So where does that leave us? It leaves us alone. It leaves us as individuals. And so we have this thought pattern that's been working for hundreds of years, and we also have the, uh, the advertising industry, which is also promoting this idea of individualism, of self-actualization and self-fulfillment. And so what happens is we have great entrepreneurs like Steve Jobs who come up with a fantastic idea. Let's make some products and let's call them iPhones or iPads or iMacs or iPods. And not only are they, I think, good products, but also as well, it's a, it's a stroke of genius in the I world. Because what's the I world all about? The I world is all about me. And what we're being fed by advertising, but also by sophisticated thinking, over, so I shouldn't be holding it up, over the last 300 years, is the fact that actually the only person we can now rely on for truth is ourselves. So this may sound a strange place to turn to, but I'm going to turn to a verse from a song by Boyzone. Boyzone may not seem like a deeply anarchic and chaotic uh, group of people, but actually I think if you listen to it carefully, the verse of this song is one that promotes utter anarchy. No matter what they tell you, no matter what they say, no matter what they teach you, what you believe, is true. That is the distillation of 300 years of Western thought. There are no external authorities that should be trusted or listened to. Not your parents, not your school teacher, not the government, not the Bible, not God. Why? 
because no one's advice can be trusted, because no one knows any better. Because we should stand up whenever the plane is going down and a pilot with 42 years experience of flying gliders and military and civil aircraft and we can stand up in our modern mindset and say, actually, I think I should be allowed to have a go at this. Do you see where our Western thought has taken us? It's taken us to a place of complete isolation where in the story, and the advertising world feeds this every time virtually we turn on an ad, and the message that is coming across is this, you are the hero of your own story. And the Bible says exactly the opposite. The Bible says, I am not the hero of my own story. The Bible says, there's only one big story, and there is only one hero, and his name is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So for us at this time in the midst of all the elections that are coming up as we, as we watch the potential impeachment of Donald Trump, as we, as we listen to all the policies being put forward and everything else, I think the temptation for us is to think, well, what's the point of even paying any regard? And the Bible would say this. It's because although the Bible doesn't say have this structure of government or um, have this structure of democracy or, or, or don't even have democracy, the Bible doesn't tell us or advise us about that. What the Bible advises us is how authority should be exercised and how we under authority should respond to those in authority. We submit because by doing that, we are submitting to God Himself. We pray because, boy, if we are living with the knowledge that we need to submit, then, boy, we want to pray they're going to get it right. But we also challenge whenever we see injustice come. In Acts chapter 4, when Paul and Peter and John were first time released by the Sanhedrin, they gathered together with the other apostles to pray. And the way they prayed tells us a great deal about how they understood the kingdom of God to work and how God Himself works. You see, if I had stood before the Sanhedrin, and they had threatened me by saying, if you do what you've been doing, you're going to be in deep, deep trouble. I, I would have been tempted to come back and gather the other disciples together and to say, let's pray that God will get that Sanhedrin out of the way, that He will remove authority, that He will strike them down, that a bolt of lightning will come down and decimate the temple because it's only going to get in our way. But instead, they say this in the midst of their prayer. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak the word with great boldness. That's all they say. Lord, have you noticed that they threatened us? And they, they, don't, take it any, they don't take it beyond that. They just say, they don't say, Lord, we've been terribly put upon. 
Lord, this is a very unjust society. Lord, we want to exercise our rights. They say, Lord, did you notice that they threatened us? We'll leave that with you. And then they say, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Why did the Holy Spirit come down in such a powerful way that the whole place actually shook after they prayed that prayer? And part of the answer is this. They didn't pray for the Sanhedrin to be changed or destroyed. Why? Because God had put the Sanhedrin in place. Instead, they said, Lord, just notice what they've done, please. Now fill us with your Holy Spirit because we know that nothing can stop your Holy Spirit. We know that no matter what it looks like in the here and now, victory is coming. And Jesus Christ is King and Lord over all. Do you see the level of faith and prayer and humility that is required to live as a Christian person in modern society? There is immense faith required. There is immense humility required. And there is deep prayer required to recognize that every single authority structure that we come across has been placed there by God because the day is coming whenever we will be seated with the Lord and we will get to rule and reign with Him. And that's why government is important because God has not abandoned this world. God is working to redeem this world And part of the way he is doing that is doing through all of the authority structures that he has put in place. That's why Jesus submitted to every authority structure because they've been placed there. And he trusted the fact that no matter what they did, even though it came to his crucifixion, that there was only one who was going to be victorious. And his name is Jesus Christ. He is the hero of our story. He is the one to whom we submit. And on this day when we remember with gratitude those who have fought tyranny and have defended us and still do defend us today in the midst of a broken world, uh, those who would come to attack us or kill us or, or force us, we give thanks for the fact that God has, has raised up courage And we pray and remember those who have been injured or traumatized or families that have been left without fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. And yet we know the ultimate solution to all of this is not human cleverness. It is not political structures, although we submit to those structures. It is the fact that God's kingdom is coming. It is a kingdom of peace. Is a kingdom of love, is a kingdom of spiritual power, and ultimately nothing can stop the kingdom of God. Let's stand together.